Well, All right. Yeah. What's going on, my people? There it is. <laughs> Here That's we are. Another episode of the Weekly Sit-Down with your two fantastic hosts, Tolga and Mr. Rizzo. That was such a great convo. <sighs> guys, you guys are in for a goddamn treat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might need a dictionary with this one. The people who know us, though... It's going to be even funnier uh. for them because they're going to be like, what were they <laughs> thinking? What were they thinking while they were talking to this guy? Like, I'll tell you right now, for the first 20 minutes, I was not thinking. Like, yeah. all thought left my mind. Yeah. I guess I was like an eternal bliss for a bit. <laughs> yeah, and listen to, listen to the very beginning where he's like, where we're calling him and you hear the Skype call going through. And then yep. Toga's just like, all right, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? I do Dude, it? I don't know. Just the last minute I freaked. And then the first like 10, 15 minutes of that, I was just, for some reason, I couldn't think. And it just, I got more comfortable. We both got more comfortable as it went on. But... Our guest today was Professor Massimo Pigliucci, who has PhDs in... He has a PhD in the philosophy of science, PhD in biology, his doctorate in genetics, and then he has his bachelor's and his master's in biological sciences. Pretty much just, long story short, short, long story (laughs) shirtless, he was the smartest guy I've by far i've ever spoken to one thousand percent yeah the guy's been on joe rogan's sci-fi show i guess i just looked it up which yeah. when he said he was what he talked to joe rogan i was like it's oh, like okay. yeah i was on his <laughs> show and we're like what and how do we not know this and then he had neil degrasse tyson on his show yeah like what in the world <laughs> uh, that was but just that a good thing he didn't tell us that in the beginning because like i would have just been more intimidated yeah. <laughs> it was an amazing conversation yeah, so he. I hope he. The highlights. The, the highlights. He he tells us what stoicism is. Yes, we get into stoicism. Yeah. We get into a good amount of science. We get into stardust again. We get into the flat Earth for a second. We get into climate nah, change. Nah, he didn't even entertain flat Earth. I know. He was just like. <laughs> he, <laughs> was, he was like laughed it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, we got into uh, climate change. We got into a lot of things, and it's yeah. very interesting. It's yeah. very. I'm just so grateful that we have this podcast. Yes, like, dude, like, are you serious? I, I just got to talk to, to this guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I got to talk wow. to this guy. I learned a lot. I mean, I've only yeah. been studying stoicism for two months. Not yeah. even studying, just reading books. Yeah. And this guy was saying things that just really like made me feel like I'm gonna keep this going. No matter. Oh what. yeah. Now, now it's like you know. Like the universe just told you, like, come yes. on, you're this doing makes one thousand percent right. sense to me. You know what you're doing. Yeah. His book comes out May 9th. How, How to, to be, be a stoic, stoic. Yeah. Using ancient philosophy in modern times. I probably got it wrong. Wow, you, no, that, that was right. Boom, <laughs> you memorized it. Uh, I botched that while talking to him. Anyway, guys, but enjoy once again, it. thank you to Professor Massimo Pigliucci. I'll get it one day. And to everyone else, enjoy the episode.
just give him a phone call. And dude, what in the world? So this one or just yeah, this? Call him up. No, the Massimo. Not video. Not call. video. You gotta kick this off. I gotta kick. Yeah, this you off. gotta kick it. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hey, Massimo. How are you? Good. How you doing? Good, good. Good. Uh, so my name's Tolga. And then, Hi. How you doing? And then that's uh, Joe over there. I'm Joe Rizzo. How's it going? Good. Thank you. Can you uh, hear us well? Yeah. How's the noise? For yeah. You? I can hear you perfectly well. There's oh. not too much white noise, right? Uh, no, there is a little bit, but just just a, uh, not definitely not a problem. Okay. Oh, great. How's your day going so far? Well, you guys, uh, this is the third podcast that I taped today. Really? Third one? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you used to have a, a podcasting. <laughs> you used to have your own podcast, right? I did, yes. Yeah. So called Rationally Speaking. Uh, it's still going on. My, my former co-host uh, is, is doing it now, Julia Galef. Uh, but I, I, I found out that over the years that I prefer to spend my time writing rather than talking. Unless I'm the guest of somebody else. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're basically live. We, we're recording now. Okay. And uh, we're just going to add the introduction later. So don't even worry about that. Yeah. So we'll just go into it. Sounds good. So uh, how long do you think you want to you wanna go on? However long you well, want. Yeah. We have no <laughs> okay. <laughs> that can be dangerous, you know. But That'll be better. You, you're, we looked up a lot about you and you're a real interesting guy. So I'm sure you have a lot to say. All right, let's go yeah. for it. Well, we, uh, the biggest thing we like want. Well, so you're really into stoicism, correct? That's new. Book. Yes, I am definitely. Okay, so the way we usually go about this is we ask our guests to describe, just to start it off, just to give us their backstory. Not the whole, you know, you don't have to go from birth, but the backstory, That's right. <laughs> the backstory of how you got to where you are now, like what got you to the place you're in in your own life now. Well, I'm a professional philosopher, at, uh, but uh, I've been doing this only for the last seven or eight years or so. Uh, my initial career in academia was as an evolutionary biologist. I always wanted to be a scientist, and you know that's that's what I set out to do. Uh, and then at some point, uh, an early midlife crisis hit, and I decided to go back uh, to school. I got my PhD in uh, philosophy because philosophy had always been my second sort of passion. Uh, and then it worked out. A few years later, I finished. I defended my dissertation. I published it as a book. And then uh, I built a, enough of a CV that I was uh, competitive for, for professional positions in philosophy. So now I'm, I've been a, a professional philosopher for the last few years. Uh, it's been an unusual career from an academic <laughs> perspective. Usually, people don't go from the sciences to the humanities uh, in that in that way. But right. um, but it has worked for me, and so I'm, I'm very happy about it. Um, my back, my sort of interest in philosophy of science is in, is in philosophy of science, in particular, uh, in the structure of evolutionary theory in biology, as well as in uh, the demarcation problem that is the distinction between science and pseudoscience. Yeah. Uh, We were. I we looked up a lot about you. You, you had your. You got your PhD in philosophy of science. You got your PhD in biology, and then, what did you say? Something happened where you just wanted a switch. 
Yeah, it's like uh, at some point I was uh, feeling like um, uh, my career as a scientist was going well, but uh, it was beginning to coast a little bit. It was beginning to sort of, you know, I was doing the same things or, or mm. small variations thereof. Right. And so I decided that it was time to do something different. Um, about that time, uh, I met this young, uh, bright philosopher of science. His name is Jonathan Kaplan. And we became friends. We started collaborating uh, on on joint papers, and then one thing led to another. And eventually, Jonathan became my advisor when I decided to go back to school and get my degree in philosophy. Where did you get your degree? At the University of Tennessee, because uh, in Knoxville, because I was there as a faculty in biology, and so during the you know for about three years, I was teaching biology and doing research in biology, and then. In the afternoon and evening, I will take courses in the philosophy department. Uh, and you were you were raised in Rome, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, I was raised in Rome. I was I grew up there. I did my, um, of course, high school and college, and then I moved to the United States to do my PhD in uh, evolutionary biology at the University of Connecticut. Did you already speak English? Well, uh, in in uh, Italy, you have to study foreign language, and I picked English. So I, my my reading English was pretty good. My grammar was pretty good. My spoken English was not so good. In fact, it was actually horrible. <laughs> um, but you know, I felt that um, I could take the plunge anyway. And uh, sure enough, within like two or three months that I was in the United States, it had improved significantly. Especially because I made the smart move of not associating with uh, expats from Italy. Yeah, your um, your English yeah. is really good. My my grandfather is from Naples, and he can't. He still doesn't speak English, and he's lived here for fifty <laughs> years. Yeah, he probably associated with a lot of it, other Italians or Italian Americans. Yeah, and then, you know that's the problem. So I, now I do that too. I mean, I have many of my friends are Italian, but that's twenty six years later. Uh, yeah. So now things are pretty set. <laughs> that's great. So so I was reading. Um, you grew up atheist. Well, or? I grew up Catholic. Oh, because okay. you know, in in Rome, uh, in Italy in general, it's like so oh, that's the course. default position. But um, I left the church when I was like fifteen or so. I mean, I had increasing doubts anyway. And then um, uh, when I was in high school, I, I studied I started studying philosophy because in, in Italy, it's you have to take three years of philosophy in high school. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, yeah. And as soon as I read. Um, uh, Bertrand Russell's "Why I Am Not a Christian." I said, "Yeah, that's it." <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. So after that, I consider myself an atheist, which, however, it's not really a kind of a philosophy. It's just a. It's just to say that I don't have any particular reason to believe in God. So my first sort of approach to you know to a philosophy of life was secular humanism. For an, for a number of years, I considered myself a secular humanist. What What about the idea of like the definition of God, people have a different definition. So every like every religion. So yeah, for me, I consider myself uh, agnostic, where I feel like there is something out there, but I just don't know what it is. Right. Is, um, yeah, that, that's a reasonable position to have. I mean, I I think I, I usually tell people that I'm a, a atheist in the same sense in which I'm a, a unicornist. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't see any positive reason to believe in unicorns, so I so, so I don't. That doesn't mean that I know that there are no unicorns. You know, if one of these days I, I should should see a unicorn, then I will change my mind. Yeah, you'll admit it that you yeah, saw exactly. it. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I've I've just gotten into stoicism about 
maybe two months now. Like I've read okay. all. I started reading meditations, of course. Yes. And so, with your view on God, like what's because whenever I read Stoicism, they're always talking about gods and then God. But right. I know I heard that the actual translation never has the word God actually in it, or is that wrong? Yeah, it, it depends on the Stoics. Um, so let's step back for a second. So, sure. so Stoicism as an as an ancient Greek and Roman philosophy was rather unusual in terms of so their treatment of God. I mean, they do talk about God, but they they explicitly say that God for them is the same thing as nature yeah, or as right. the same thing That's, as the, the yeah. rational principles underlying the universe. Yeah. So, you know, at most, you can say that the, the, the Stoics were sort of pantheists. They, they, they thought that God is immanent in nature. God is, in fact, nature. We are part of, of, of God. See, that one I could get um, behind. Yes, me too. Like the, yes. un- the universe, I think of as God. Same right, thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, this is, uh, today, this is referred to as Spinoza's God or, or Einstein's God because Einstein also famously was asked at one point, uh, you know, whether he believed in God. He said, well, I believed in the laws of nature. Right. Uh, now, it, it sounds like a, so. One of the things that to, to um, realize about that kind of answer is that they kind of it feels like a uh, sort of a simple answer, simplistic even answer. Mm-hmm. But in fact, what he meant was that that the contemplation of the laws of nature is the contemplation of the uh, sort of rational rational order of the universe filled them with awe, and so it gave them that kind of transcendental you know, uh, experience that most people refer to as, yeah. as God. And so from that perspective, it's fair enough. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. Did, so who were, did you have any philosophers in particular that inspired you to go towards a route of philosophy? Like Carl Sagan? Yeah, Bertrand Russell. Um, I already mentioned uh, he's uh, um, uh, why I'm not a Christian. But in fact, before reading that book, I, yeah. by, by chance, I picked up uh, his autobiography. Oh. And yeah, and it was it's it's an amazing book because all of a sudden I discovered that uh, philosophers can be socially active and politically active and have a very interesting life. And it's like, wow, that was news to me. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, Russell was a really remarkable figure. Uh, you know, he protested uh, and was arrested because of that. Uh, the, the entry of Britain in World War One, of course, he. he um, he stood, you know, he, he sort of protested and wrote about the Nazi. Uh, he even was arrested when he was 90 because of, he, was, he was doing a sit-in against the <laughs> Vietnam War. So it's like, you know, th- this is a really interesting guy. For a 90-year-old, they're going to arrest a 90-year-old guy? Yep, that's right. <laughs> Not only a 90-year-old guy, but one of the most famous philosophers in the world at the time. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to get arrested at that point. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> what, so that, what, was, yeah. that was your introduction into philosophy. Well, uh, as I said, I, I studied in high school, so it was three oh, years, right, right. and it was standard, you know, three-year course uh, that is a survey of philosophy. So it started out with the pre-Socratics, went through the ancient Greeks and Roman philosophers, then into the Middle Ages and into uh, early modern philosophy. Um, so this this was my introduction. It was an historical perspective, okay. but it was done by a wonderful teacher who really made the the, the subject matter come alive, and so that's why I. I fell in love with philosophy because, you know, there's nothing like having a good teacher uh, to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, for me, anyway, I'm 27 years old and I've just recently started getting into philosophy. 
and someone I'm really into is Alan Watts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's I listened to him so much of his stuff, so many of his lectures, and I was wondering if you were a fan of his. Um, I don't know. Well, fan is just too, yeah. it's, it's too strong. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so my, my philosophical taste does not go into that direction. But yeah, you, you're right. He's, he's a fascinating figure. Um, but my attempt to be, uh, so as I said, I started out with Russell, and Russell is the, in, the, in the so-called analytic tradition of modern philosophy. But then I got more and more interested in the ancient uh, Greeks. Actually, I went to the ancient Greeks by way of an intermediate stop. One of my favorite philosophers is David Hume. Okay. And uh, that's because it's he, he sort of, so we're now talking about, you know, enlightenment, so 18th century. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Hume was also himself a fascinating person, you know, very interesting life. But it was also very, very clear when he wrote. Uh, you can read Hume still today and, and we know or little philosophical background and understand exactly what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, and then by after that, I sort of kind of went back in time. So now my favorite philosophers tend to be the ancient uh, the ancient ones, the, in terms of contemporary philosophers, you know, I have my, my favorite, my, my preferences, yeah. but, uh, but most of my readings now are in ancient philosophy. Oh, yeah. So when did you come across, uh, when did you get into Stoicism? Yeah. Is that like what, but, well, what, what this is pretty recent. Yeah. Um, so it was about like, uh, you know, three years ago. And, okay. and the reason for that, it's, um, it's a combination of, I was looking for something and then something, uh, just randomly happened and I, and I seized on it. So, um, I, I mentioned before that I, uh, considered myself a secular humanist for, for a long time, but, uh, secular humanism never really, uh, satisfied me as a philosophy because it, it's, it's not a, it's not a coherent system, philosophical system. It's really more like a, a laundry list of things you like. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's mostly politically, uh, liberal progressive positions which i'm fine with you know that's what i consider myself to be um but it it really didn't have some some kind of you know structure uh that was satisfying so but it turns out that a lot of uh, psycho-humanists are into virtue ethics and particularly either aristotle or epicurus so i started reading both aristotle and epicurus and then you know that clicked. That that's okay. Well, virtue <laughs> ethics is kind of interesting. It's it's about uh, it focuses on developing uh, one's character. It says that the, the most important thing you can do in life is is to you know become a good person through working through your, on your character and improving your character. So, so right, that that strikes me as an interesting idea. And when I was doing that, I was reading, in fact, uh, again both Aristotle and Epicurus on my Twitter feed. I see this thing called. That, that says, help us celebrate Stoic Week. And I said, what the hell is Stoic Week? Yeah. Uh, and it turned out to be, of course, an initiative that it's, it's done every year by a group of people uh, loosely organized at, around the University of Exeter in England. And these are you know, a bunch of philosophers and, and uh, psychotherapists, actually, especially CBT therapists, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah. And uh, so I looked into it. I, I downloaded their their manual for sort of how to practice stoicism for a week, and um, I liked it. And I thought it sort of immediately clicked uh, with me. I mean, I have I had read Marcus Aurelius before, you know, many years before. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, I've also translated when I was in school in high school. Uh, it, I took Latin, so I actually translated Seneca from Latin. Oh, but, really? You know, but that sort of stuff was in the background. It wasn't. It really that didn't resonate at the time. 
this time you know, I, uh, when I when I was practicing sort of stoic week, it's like it really clicked, and I said, okay, I, I better do more than a week. So I committed to a couple of months, and then a couple of months became a year, and then now we are we're we're here still talking about it. Yeah. So just for everyone listening who has no idea what stoicism even yeah. is, <laughs> or do you want to explain it to everyone? Yeah, sure. So Stoicism is an ancient Greek Roman philosophy, uh, and it's uh, it's based on the idea that uh, you you go through life by uh, practicing four fundamental virtues. The four fundamental Stoic virtues or cardinal virtues are uh, practical wisdom, which is the ability to navigate the complex situations in the best possible way, courage. Uh, not just physical, but also uh, uh, sort of a, the courage to do the morally right thing, you know, to stand up for, for things that are that are right. Justice, uh, which is the idea of treating other people with respect as human beings and, and fairly. And then temperance, which is the idea of sort of uh, exercising self-control, so, so to not, not fall into excesses for anything. The idea that Stoics, Stoics, Stoics had was that if you practice these four virtues, uh, throughout your life, you become a better person, you develop better relationships with other people, you're useful to society, and uh, and eventually you reach a state uh, that they call ataraxia. Ataraxia meant a serenity uh, of sort of tranquility of mind, because uh, the practice of the virtues help you develop some kind of sense of equanimity toward life. Uh, one of the fundamental Stoic ideas is uh, referred to as the dichotomy of control, and this is this idea that uh, you ought to realize that some things are under your control and other things are not under yep. your control. Yeah. And then you should ignore, basically, <laughs> the ones that are not under your control because there's nothing you can do about them anyway. Yep. And focus all your energy on the on the stuff that is under your control. It kind of sounds close to, in, in a way, the Four Noble Truths and Buddhism and reaching Nirvana. Yeah. It, yeah. Are they similar? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There is a lot of similarity between Stoicism and Buddhism. In fact, I think of Stoicism as the Western uh, equivalent of Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, and Buddhism also started around the same time, about a couple of centuries before Stoicism. Uh, they both started under very similar um, sort of social conditions, social political conditions. Uh, in both cases, there were some major upheavals. You know, societal upheavals. In both cases, uh, uh, people felt that they had no control or little control over what was going on, and so they needed some way to sort of cope with the situation. And so, both Buddhism and, and Stoicism are, are really philosophies of endurance and philosophies of coping with things while with the situation uh, that you are dealt with, that you're dealt by, while at the same time sort of maintaining some kind of equanimity, serenity, and sort of ability to help other people. Right. So, so what do Stoics believe when you die? What happens? Uh, the Stoics are materialists, so nothing happens when you yeah. die. When you die, you, that's it. End of story. Yeah, they say to uh, live your life um, like it's your last every day, pretty much, no? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that the Stoics, especially Seneca, kept saying is that you should always uh, think of, of, your, of every day as if it were your, the last day of your life, because you actually when that day is going to come. And so you should live life to the fullest. Uh, you should right. always do things, you know, try to do things that are important to you, uh, not waste your time doing stuff that you don't, you know, that is not really that interesting or that important. Uh, always sort of live with a certain uh, degree of urgency and also a sense of urgency and also with a sense of gratitude. If I, at some point, 
uh, Seneca says, uh, you know, uh, every day that you that you get up and you're you're given another day to live, you should be great grateful yep. uh, because you know you got one more thing, one more chance to do uh, good good stuff and to do good things. Yeah, I picked up meditation. So, I, like I said, I picked up meditations two months ago, mm-hmm. and just from opening that book, I don't know, like most of what Marcus Aurelius was saying just made so much yeah, sense yeah. to me. He was so ahead yeah. of his time. Yeah. And then when I started looking up what he's talking about, that's how I found out about Stoicism. And then the more I read about it, I picked up the letters of Seneca. Yeah. Um, and then the book I have is the six essential text of Seneca. I just finished Meditations, even though I keep yeah. reading it. Yeah. But, I mean, everything in there just makes sense. Like, the way they live just makes so much sense to me. Uh, right, so it, it clicks, right? So, so uh, and now I'm sure that this depends on personality. You know, for some people, might not actually react at all. Like, right. uh, you know, this this is true for other uh, for religions or or philosophies in general. Um, so, I know a lot of a number of people, for instance, that started looking into Buddhism first, and then Buddhism didn't click with them because often, especially the the versions of Buddhism that come to the uh, that are better known in the West, they they come across as a little bit of you know, mystical or difficult to sort of understand what exactly uh, they were saying. And the Stoics, on the other hand, are very clear. And if you, you read Marcus Aurelius, you read Seneca, it's very obvious what they're, ten, they're yeah. talking about. It's very, it's very clear. You don't need any, you know, particular background in philosophy or or, or, or even in history uh, to understand what the what the whole yeah, thing is exactly. about. Exactly. So. Um, so I have a question about that. Though. Do you? Because I feel like modern, for some reason, I feel Stoicism is really becoming known like modern days because i listen to a bunch of podcasts i don't know if you know who joe rogan is yes yes uh, i've been actually a guest on one of these shows yeah oh really okay yeah. i had no idea that's my favorite podcast but uh so joe rogan so his partner on on it is uh aubrey marcus and i know he's very big into stoicism tim ferris is very big into stoicism yeah do you think right. there's a reason why it's getting picked back up as a philosophy yeah, I, I think that's because we live in times that are very similar in some sense uh, to those of the Stoics. That is, we live in, uh, in in a period where there's major things going on in the world and we feel like we have very little control over them. I mean, you know, the 2008 financial collapse, uh, the fact that we have a president now that is threatening nuclear war against North Korea, you know, th- those are big big things. Yeah. And and people don't, don't feel like they, there's much they can do about it. Uh, and those are these similar conditions to the ones that made uh, Stoicism popular to begin with. You know, Stoicism started out basically with the death of Alexander the Great and the collapse of, of, of his empire, which led to a period of turmoil and, 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 and rapid change. But it, so that's, I think it's, it's one reason. But there's others reasons. For, for one thing, Stoicism is, Stoic techniques in particular work. Uh, they uh, have been used for you know two thousand years, uh, and they are they, they actually are the basis of a number of modern uh, evidence based psychotherapies such as cognitive behavioral therapy, which I mentioned earlier, logotherapy, uh, rational emotive behavioral therapy. All of these actually uh, uh, have been established in the nineteen fifties and sixties by people who were directly inspired by uh, stoic readings. And there is a reason for that, you know, because the, the stoic meditations, the stoic approaches to, you know, exercises actually do work, uh, in a, in a practical sense. So I think there is also that, uh, that is helping, uh, sort of stoicism coming back. And the third reason is 
Stoicism has in really never gone away. I mean, as a formal school of philosophy, it ended in the second or third century, just like every other school, you know, Epicureans and right. Cynics mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Aristotelians and all that sort of stuff, with the rise of Christianity, basically. But Christianity did ab- itself did absorb a lot out of Stoicism. So, for instance, the, 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 first of all, all of the uh, founding fathers, you know, the early father, church fathers, uh, uh, actually knew about the Stoics. Uh, St. Paul directly addresses uh, the Stoics in, in some of his writings. So does Augustine. So does Thomas Aquinas. Uh, so, so this is, was a very well-known uh, relationship between the two. Uh, the the uh, handbook, the manual of Epictetus, was used as a training manual for Christian monks throughout the Middle Ages. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of connections there. It's never really gone away. Uh, Christians re- recognize seven cardinal virtues. And guess right. what? Four of them are the Stoic ones that yeah. I mentioned earlier, yeah. and to which they added uh, you know, faith, ch- charity, and hope. Um, so all of that makes, makes for a continuing uh, sort of uh, existence, sort of, sort of under, underground existence of Stoicism. Stoicism also influenced a lot of major philosophers throughout the ages, uh, other than the ones that I already mentioned. Uh, that includes also uh, René Descartes, it includes uh, Baruch Spinoza, uh, it includes uh, Michel de Montaigne. So, you know, the Stoic thinking comes up over and over and over. And, of course, the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius has been in print ever since the invention of the printing press. Right. Yeah, they keep reprinting yeah. it. I mean, I did see past leaders in the world have read Meditations. Like, I know Bill Clinton reads it every year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, do, you, uh, do you think modern-day Stoicism has to be any different than when it was or do you think yeah does it have to adapt to technology and yeah that's a good question and uh, yeah i think the answer is yes in fact uh myself and and a number of other uh, philosophers who are interested in modern stoicism are are in fact doing just this we're trying to update things there is a there's a one well-known book by colleague of mine uh lawrence baker it's called the new stoicism and uh, the, the project of that book is precisely to try to answer or begin to answer that question of you know what what does a 21st century stoicism look like um i just been invited actually just a few minutes ago literally uh, i got an email invitation to the next meeting of the american philosophical association to participate to a panel discussion on um, uh, modern stoicism so you know there's there's interest in doing that sort of stuff it's understandable that it needs uh, an update because one major difference between Stoicism and Buddhism is that Buddhism has been practiced continuously for two and a half millennia. There has been no interruption. Uh, on the other hand, as I mentioned earlier, Stoicism basically as a formal school, you know, stopped, ended in, you know, the, in the second century. So there's a gap, uh, even though there has been a lot of influence by Stoic thinkers throughout the ages as a, as a pra- actual practice philosophy. Uh, there's this huge gap. Uh, so all of a sudden, you take it up again in the 20th century, 21st century. Uh, yeah, there's a number of things that have changed in the meantime. And just like other philosophies and religions sort of have gradually updated themselves. Uh, you know, let's take Buddhism, for instance. You know, the Dalai Lama famously uh, said a few years ago that, uh, you know, whenever science discovers something that uh, uh, is maybe problematic for Buddhist doctrines, then Buddhist doctrines need to be updated. Uh, to t- take into account, you know, the, the findings of science. I think the same g- goes for, for Stoicism. If you want a viable philosophy, modern philosophy, uh, you can uh, base, it, base it on the original basic ideas of the ancients, but it needs to be updated. Otherwise, 
it, otherwise it's, de- it, it's dead. And in the, interestingly, the Stoics themselves, the ancient Stoics themselves, thought that way. I mean, uh, Seneca several times says, you know, we don't have all the truths. We haven't discovered all the truths. Uh, th- there will be new generations that will discover new things. And he also says, conversely, uh, at some point, just because I'm a member of the Stoic, of, you know, the Stoic sect, he calls it, uh, that doesn't mean that everything that I accept unquestioningly everything that uh, that the founders of the sect actually said. You know, I might I might disagree. I might I might strike out on my own in my own direction if I find if I think it is more reasonable. Yeah, no, it's not blindly just following it because they're stoic. Right. It's right. it's if they believe it, they believe it. Yes, yeah, exactly. I like that. That's great. So I have a question: What do you think religion? Like so, you don't believe in religion, right? Yeah, I don't practice any religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what was it created for? To make money? No, I don't think. So. I mean, there is always the fact that every time that you you create a power structure, including uh, a religion, somebody's going to make money out of it. But no, I don't think that was the original idea. Nor do I actually think that uh, necessarily that's the main function of religions even today. So, religions organize religions. Uh, tend to uh, serve social purposes. They 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 offer uh, uh, you know followers of a particular religion a community uh, a guidance you know uh, interpretation of scriptures and all sorts yeah. of stuff. So you go to church. I mean, when I when I go when I went to church when I was young and uh, you know in the Catholic Church. Why why did I go to church? Well, in part because I wanted to learn more about uh, the religion I was practicing. So, you know, so you go and you listen to a priest or you go and listen, occasionally you go listen to the Pope or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so you learn. And also, you want to meet uh, fellow practitioners, you want to share experiences, you want to reinforce your, your faith uh, by meeting other people. And generally, just you want a, a social network, uh, of even of assistance, you know, both, both practical uh, you know, assistance and, and also sort of spiritual. So I think that, that those are the major uh, major roles that are uh, actually played by religions even today. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, again, you know, people do make money out of it, but that's not the major thing. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any religion or anything. I, I'm actually part of a life group where it's mostly Christian Christians coming together. But right. I, I'm an an agnostic i yeah. i just go to meet the people because they like talking <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I, I have a question while we're still on so i looked up so you wrote denying evolution yes and i was reading about that and one of the snippets i saw just describing the book is this still true that more than half the united states population doesn't believe in evolution yeah unfortunately it is wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, it varies uh you know, polls vary year to year, but yeah, between 40 and 50 percent of the American population does not accept the theory of evolution as it is accepted by scientists, uh, which is very unusual among Western countries. Usually that percentage is below 5 percent for most other Western <laughs> Yeah, when I read that, that blew, I had no idea that was an actual fact. So in school, yeah, what you, have, they teach? you haven't lived in the South, apparently. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so in the South, you're saying they teach that Adam and Eve created people? Well, so they can't do that in high, in uh, in uh, public schools, right? Because that's that's just prohibited by law. Right. You can't teach religious uh, doctrines in public schools. But yeah, there is lots of uh, you know evangelical schools and and uh, uh, and of course lots of uh, st- um, kids are actually homeschooled 
and that's what they're that's what they're taught. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I just and can't then they get... get to college, and all of a sudden they're shocked <laughs> uh, by by what they hear from their professors. I just can't get behind that one. I don't know how I. <sighs> that blows I my mind. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing. So uh, when I was in the University of Tennessee, uh, I was teaching a, a course in general ecology uh, to the sort of an introductory course in ecology to undergraduate students. And uh, uh, there was a section on evolution. You know, a couple of weeks, we would, we would do a couple of weeks on evolution because you cannot really understand ecology unless you understand also uh, evolutionary theory. And uh, I had more than once students in my classes telling their, their fellow students that they shouldn't uh, – believe what i was telling them because otherwise they would go to hell <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> yeah. yeah so you know that that gives you the measure of the thing huh. so i i have a question then but so you believe in the big bang theory obviously right well belief is a kind of a weird word to use for that i or, accept what uh yeah. what um, astronomers and cosmologists tell me about the big yeah. bang yes i'm not a physicist so I, it's not like <laughs> this is not my own idea it's just like oh People so, have studied these things, tell me that fact. that's the way it went. So, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's what I mean. So, I'm interested in your opinion. So, what was before the Big Bang then? Well, there's a number of, from what I understand, I, again, I'm not a physicist, so don't quote me on this. Oh, right. We are actually taping for a show, so you are going to quote me on this. Uh, no, this, uh, this is just your opinion. What you yeah, think. so so my opinion is this. I, I mean, I'm a scientist. I'm not a physicist, but I'm a scientist, and I and I read science more broadly than just than just my own specialty. And also, I have I, I do actually have friends who are physicists. And um, so the idea is that nobody really knows uh, what there was there before the Big Bang. In fact, some people will tell you that even the question makes not much sense because time, as we understand it started with the Big Bang. So to talk about something that happened before the Big Bang would mean to talk about something that happened before time as we understand it today. So that's kind of weird. You know, how, how can something be before time? It's like, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are a number of theories. Uh, one theory is that uh, the, the Big Bang was just one of a number of Big Bangs, meaning that, that the universe goes through periods of expansion and then it contracts and there is something called sort of big crunch and then it starts all over. And interestingly, actually, that's actually what the Stoics thought. Oh, really? uh, the, Stoic, the Stoics thought that the universe goes through periodic conflagrations, wow. you know, sort of explosions, and then it starts over afresh. Wow. Uh, so some cosmologists today would tell you that um, that's pretty much what happened. Not, not in the details, in, not, not in the, exactly in the way in which the Stoics thought, but, um, but pretty much that's what happened. Another version of the same thing is that actually we live in a multiverse. We live in a, in a universe of universes. And what the Big Bang is, is just the, the one particular episode within this much bigger uh, thing that they call the multiverse. Um, but really, the honest truth is nobody knows. Yeah. And the reason nobody knows is because, of course, there are uh, there's no empirical evidence left. Yeah. You know, whatever was there before the Big Bang uh, has been completely erased by the fact that uh, that we had this huge new beginning from from scratch. So it's really hard to say. Probably we will probably never know. I mean, there are, again, we are, we have theories about it, yep. but uh, it's it's going to be impossible to find evidence. And that and that's the argument a uh, Christian or a religious person would say is that God created it. That's why no one can explain it because. Yeah, but that's kind of a weird argument if you think about it. So, so it's in philosophy that's called an argument from ignorance, right? So I don't know how something happened, therefore God. Yeah. Well, um, if you put it that way, what you're saying is if you say that well, 
God actually is the answer. God is the explanation. You're just giving a very fancy name to uh, to our ignorance. You're just saying you, we have no idea how it happened, so let's call it God. Fine, yeah. <laughs> if that's the way you want to go. Yeah. But they, they don't really provide an explanation, right? It's not that we know how and why God did it. By which mechanisms did God create the universe? Why did He create the universe? Now nobody has any idea. So it's essentially the same thing. It's just it's, it's just a fancy way to say I don't know. And I I much prefer the, the phrase I don't know because it reminds us of sort of a little bit of humility as human beings, right? You know, we're we're very smart creatures. We figured out a lot of things about the world, uh, but we're limited. We're, we you know our brains are finite size, and you know we're not that smart. Um, so it's it's a good reminder to occasionally uh, to, to ourselves to occasionally just say you know what I just don't know. Uh, yeah. We'll, so it's okay. We'll it's okay not to all, know things. We'll never have all the answers. No, no, I don't think so. Right. It's cool to think that before the Big Bang, there might have been something else, like another life, um, yeah. I mean, like another life form that lived out something like this. Well, yeah, I yeah. think. I yeah, think it's cool. Neil, I, I like science fiction too. <laughs> <laughs> Neil mean, deGrasse Tyson also said the, he believes in the multiverse theory that yes. you were just yeah. explaining. Yeah, yeah, I know Neil uh, pretty well. I mean, he's, he's actually been on my podcast when I when I used to do a podcast, and um, uh, yeah, that's that's an opinion that it's uh, somewhat popular among physicists uh, uh, these days, uh, the multiverse opinion uh, theory. But there are, but then again, there are other physicists who think that that's absolutely crazy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of disagreement among physicists themselves. So one of the things about the multiverse uh, idea is that too often it's presented by people like Neil. Uh, who is a very good science popularizer, of course, but it, it, too often the idea is presented as if it were accepted science. It isn't. It, right. It's just it's just speculation, and there is plenty of very good physicists who say that now that we have no idea whether the, the multiverse exists or not. Yeah, one of the craziest things that he says, I love Neil deGrasse Tyson, one of the craziest things he says is how we're all made of the same atoms and particles that the sun is made of or the stars were stardust were made of the same yes and that's right and actually he's not the one that originated that uh analogy that one goes back to carl sagan Uh carl sagan was the astronomer back in the 70s who did the original series of cosmos and uh and that that was one of his uh, famous phrases that we're all stardust and we literally are stardust meaning that uh the so-called heavy elements of which we're made, so elements that are heavier than helium and hydrogen, uh, those elements don't, they, they didn't exist after the Big Bang. Uh, the, the, the universe was made essentially of hydrogen initially, and then hydrogen and helium. Uh, and then these heavier elements like carbon and phosphorus and nitrogen, all, all that stuff, the good stuff that is necessary to put together a human being, uh, that one originated only after the first, the, uh, the first generation of stars started exploding so when you have a supernova which is a very very big conflagration of you know a star at the end of, of its life cycle yeah uh, collapses on itself and then it explodes that explosion creates it's it's basically a way of creating heavy elements and uh so literally we're you know it is not a metaphor we're literally stardust meaning that uh, all our elements were inside a star at one point yeah we came out of the earth we weren't born into it we came out of it right that's, yep. that's really cool to me. Oh, yeah. So I guess I have to ask you this. What What about, what are your views on climate change deniers? Well, you, you labeled them rightly. They're, they're <laughs> deniers. Yeah. Uh, 
And this is another one of those things where uh, the sensible uh, position seems to me is to go with the, the scientific consensus. So I'm not a physicist, and I'm so I'm, I'm sort of atmospheric physicist. I do understand the theory, the basic theory behind uh, climate change. Uh, you know, I, I understand why people think, and I also have, have looked at the data. You know, I, I I can understand enough about it that to have my own opinion. But largely, I have I simply say, look. There is a number of very smart people who spend their life studying these things, and if their conclusion is that climate change is happening, and it is at least in part driven by human beings, yeah, that's good enough for me. And I know that that sounds strange because you know uh, we're taught that we shouldn't sort of trust the authority of other people and all that sort of stuff, but that seems very very weird. I mean, we all accept, we all have to accept other people's authorities. You know, if 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 you have a, a toothache, where do you go? Mm -hmm. uh, to, to get it seen. You go, you go to a dentist, presumably, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, why do you go to a dentist and not to a car mechanic or not to your, you know, your neighbor? Uh, yeah. Because you want an expert. You want somebody who knows what to do with teeth. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so on and so forth. You know, brain surgery, uh, automobile mechanics, you know, anything you, you want. I mean, we live in a society where we have experts and we uh, defer to the experts simply because we ourselves cannot be experts on everything. Now, I, I hasten to say, that doesn't mean that the experts are always right, right? Sometimes your dentist isn't going to be able to fix your teeth, uh, or sometimes your mechanic is not going to be able to fix your car, right? And then there are some mechanics who just don't really know their 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 job very well, you know, their, their, their trade very well. So it doesn't mean, just because in general it's a good idea to trust experts, it doesn't mean that the experts are themselves infallible. It's just a question of where are you going to put your money? Uh, you know, if I, ha if I ask a bunch of random people, how to fix my teeth, I think I'm going to get a, a, a worse answer than if I ask a dentist yeah. on average. And so I'm going to bet on the dentist and hoping that he's right. And so I think that the same situation can be applied to things like climate change or, or you know, the efficacy of vaccines or safety of vaccines or things like that. Uh, so people who are so-called skeptics about this stuff, they, they don't have any expertise. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, and they're just reacting to, they're, they're essentially adopting an anti-intellectual attitude and say, well, the scientists are saying so, but I don't trust the scientists because I don't trust authorities. Of course you trust authorities. Yeah. Authorities of all sorts. You just decided for some reason that you don't like that particular one. They all just And usually, it. you know, often denial of those kind of things have has an ideological motivation. So a lot of people that reject the idea of anthropogenic climate change tend to be politically conservative or libertarian. And there's a reason for that, because if climate change is real, which, as I said, I believe it is, uh, then it's a it's a problem of literally planetary proportions, right? You know, global proportions. And the only the only entities that are capable of doing something about problems of a, of a planetary proportions uh, portion are, in fact, governments. So you you have to get the governments. Uh, you know, there's probably, there is a role certainly for private enterprise, but governments have to get involved in, in order to solve or, or at least ameliorate the problems with climate change. And if you are ideologically op opposed to government interventions, then you've got a problem. Yeah. Cli I feel like climate change is kind of like what you were saying about the Big Bang, where right. it's not really an opinion, it, it's happening. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the biggest problem is in it everyone's uh, the whole fake news stuff and everyone's view on everything going on now. No one trusts anyone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And this this has gotten worse thanks to the internet. I'm, I'm, I'm unfortunately in part. 
uh, and also to the 24-hour news channels. Yes. Uh, I think I think that the, the era of fake news... Look, at any time uh, in the past, people are trying to pull a fast one another. You know, there's always been politicians lying and there's always been, you know, people that try to take advantage of other people and so on and so forth. But, but this has gone into a, uh, a situation of gigantic proportions. Yes. I think mostly because of the 24-hour news channels, uh, which, you know, you have to come up with something. There's, you can't fill 24 hours with just the same stuff over and over. And so they, they've become increasingly more extreme and, and sort of making up stuff as they go, basically, over, especially over the last uh, several years. And then there's the Internet. So the Internet, it's a great thing because everybody can find out uh, you know, all sorts of mat, you know, all sorts of information about all sorts of stuff, right? You Google stuff, you go to Wikipedia yeah. and so on and so forth. So that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody who can write as, as a voice now, you know, everybody can have a blog, everybody can, you know, uh, put out their opinions on social yeah. networks. But the problem is that, yeah, that also means that everybody, uh, can write, anybody can exactly. have an opinion and can voice it. And then it becomes a cacophony of a lot of stuff that just, most of which is garbage just like the flat earth yeah i actually yeah. have three friends that really believe in flat earth wow <laughs> that's that's amazing and they, uh, they that's tr- amazing i know only one flat earther in, in, my, in my in my entire life so I do i and that's from rogan's podcast <laughs> <laughs> do you, is he your friend your flat, flat earther no, is somebody who actually who I met briefly, but no, not I don't have flat earth for friends. No. <laughs> I guess no. he didn't that, convince you then. No, that's right. He didn't convince me. Actually, she she's she's a woman. Wow. Uh, she didn't convince me, and uh, and I tend to pick my friends carefully. So. <laughs> so you don't even bother with the idea. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, it's just just crazy. That's, that's, uh, you know, in modern times, if you, I mean, like, look. A thousand years ago, maybe the the the, the idea had some ca- uh, you know purchase some cash. Although, uh, quite frankly, even the ancient Greeks knew that the the Earth was round yep. because they observed things like eclipses and you know they 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 observed the shadow of the of the Earth on the Moon, yes. so they figured out that the the Earth was actually round. Um, so even then, you know, even two thousand years ago, that was not a particularly uh, reasonable notion. Today is just crazy. That's the day and age we live in. We somehow are going backwards. <laughs> conspiracies I, there's a lot of people that say we didn't even go to the moon you know right so conspiracy theories are another one of those sort of phenomena that that have always been like for, with us for a long you know ever since you these are recorded history right. but they have definitely become uh, more popular and more uh, and more uh, interesting and also more crazy in recent times because once again uh, people can go out there and, yep. and and look at all sorts of information and then twist it and, and, and reorganize it in a way that makes sense to them. And by the way, because uh, a lot of conspiracy theorists are actually very smart people. And uh, and the reason for that, you know, this is a well-known phenomenon in psychology that smart people are actually particularly good at rationalizing their positions. So they're, you know, they're very smart flat earther, for instance, mm-hmm. because they can come up with all sorts of really clever ways for why in fact, the Earth is flat. Now they're still crazy, but they're very, they're very clever crazy. That's what exactly what the one of the people that I was talking about that I know he says he has an answer for everything. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, if he doesn't, he can Google it. Yep, that's exactly true. And then they don't believe the news, but they'll believe anything on YouTube. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then... Yeah, I know. Funny, right? It's, that's a kind of a funny thing. It's like, wait a minute. So you, you're rejecting, uh, you know, uh, scientific journals. You're, you're, you're forget about the New York Times. Yep. Forget about NPR. But then your friend's blog or some, <laughs> exactly. some stranger's, you know, YouTube post is like that. That's fine. This, I, I this don't, guy I don't on know. YouTube knows everything. Yeah. The, <laughs> YouTube is the news now. Nowadays, it's become like. The TV channel NBC, you know. That's right. That's right. And and Facebook is becoming a uh, you know news provider. And yeah. and of course, it's the, the other thing that is uh, problematic is that social networks are easy to customize, right? So so you, you end up only watching or or viewing, uh, uh, sorry, or reading things that actually you, you you agree with already, or you know you select your own sources and you keep looking at the same things over and over, and so you become you, you build your own echo chamber. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things that, you know, every new technology has advantages and disadvantages. There's nothing evil about the technology per se, but how it's, it's all about how you use it. You know, you can use the Internet to discover all sorts of interesting things. You can use social networks to keep in touch with all sorts of people. But at the same time, you can also use those two resources to make up your own bubble of, of crap and then believe it. That's very well said. <laughs> So let's go to your book now. Yeah, what well, can we yes, learn in the new book? How to be a Stoic. Using ancient how, philosophy yep, to using live a modern life. Using ancient philosophy yeah. to live a modern life. Yep, that's right. So, uh, yeah, so the book uh, is about to come out. It, it comes out uh, next week, actually, on Tuesday. Okay. And uh, in the United States, it's actually coming out tomorrow in the UK, and it has already uh, been out in Italy. Oh, cool. And there's a number of other editions. Uh, yeah, we're, we're very excited about it. Um, I, I just had a email exchange with my publisher and uh, he, he's, he told me that actually he's already doing very well on, uh, on pre-sales. So it's kind of exciting. Well, the book is, um, uh, I wrote it uh, during a sabbatical. Uh, so I went for several months to in Rome and, uh, and I stayed on my own and sort of just sat down and write the book. And uh, it is a practical guide to stoicism. So it starts out with a very, you know, an intro, little introduction about what stoic philosophy is about. And then every major chapter within the book addresses a particular type of, of issue and how to deal with it. So uh, the book talks about love and friendship, but it also talks about, uh, you know, disability and depression, you know, and things like that. Um, it, it talks about uh, how to figure out what's the right thing to do in life and, and what your priorities are and, and uh, how sort of not to waste your time doing things that you don't, that you don't like. Right. Uh, and in ends, the, the last part of the book has a number of practical exercises because I really want people uh, that are interested to practice this thing. You know, stoicism is uh, 10% theory and 90% is practice. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, let me give you the obvious example. So one of the uh, fundamental precepts uh, of stoicism uh, that we mentioned earlier is this dichotomy of control, right? This idea that some things are under your control and others are not, and that you should focus on the things that are under your control. Well, that's easily said, right? It takes only a few minutes, you know, like a few seconds yep. to say something like that. But to actually internalize that, to actually act accordingly, it requires a lot of patience and a lot of practice and requires probably, uh, you know, a number of techniques uh, of self-examination. Of, so, so one of the classical ones is simply to write, to keep your, your own philosophical diary every evening before going to bed, I... Uh, set aside five or ten minutes to go over my day and I ask myself, you know, for all the major things that happen in the, in, during the day, I ask myself, well, did I apply the dichotomy of control? Was something really 
under my control or did I get upset about things that were not actually under my control, right? right. And if you do that little by little, it's sort of internal, it, it becomes internalized and you finally actually start acting accordingly. I, I can give you an example that it's found in the book. So in, in the book at some point, I, I talk about a you know minor episode that happened to me actually when I was writing the book. I was in, in Rome. Uh, I, at some point, I had an appointment with my brother and his wife to go out for dinner and, and go to a movie. So I get out of my apartment. I get on the subway. And as soon as I get on the subway, I realize that uh, somebody managed to uh, you know, uh, get my my uh, my wallet off my off oh, my pocket okay. without me noticing it. That happens. So now, you know, normally this would be a pretty upsetting thing because all of a sudden you find yourself without money. You lost your credit cards. You lost your driver license. You know, it's it's all sorts of you know sort of complications that immediately arise. And so normally, you know, a few years ago I would have been upset and I would have been, uh, you know, meeting my my brother later and basically had the entire evening ruined. And, Yep. By just thinking over this thing over and over, right? Yeah. Maybe I could have done something to pre- prevent it, or it was stupid of me not to pay attention, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Instead, immediately, uh, what happened to uh, was that immediately I, I had this idea. I, I sort of uh, my mind went to one of Epictetus' uh, episodes. Epictetus was one of the major um, Stoic philosophers, and in fact, he's the one that really uh, I chose as a companion. Uh, for the book, the book is organized as a number of imaginary conversations, basically between myself and Epictetus. And Epictetus um, uh, tells a similar story. Uh, you know what happened, which happened two thousand years ago. He said that he was in his uh, in his house and he heard a, uh, a rumor, uh, you know, he heard a sound, and he went to the window and and his favorite lamp was gone; it had been stolen. And then he tells he tells us how. To properly react, so I immediately thought of Epictetus, and it calmed me down instantly. Uh, it, it instantly said, "Okay, look, the wallet is gone. There's nothing you can do about yeah. it, uh, right? Uh, so it's it's useless to, to start thinking about, oh, I could have done this or I could have done that's it, done. That's that's behind you. It's out of your control. Next, what is it that you? It's really under your control. What under your control is immediately to call, of course, get your phone out out and call the credit card companies to block the credit cards." Which, of course, I did, immediately. Yep. And then I said, what else is under your control? Well, under your control is to immediately ask, you know, uh, contact the DMV and ask for a replacement of the driver license. Great. So I did that. So a few minutes later, everything was that, that I could, could have done, basically, had been done. And uh, by the time I got to my brother's uh, uh, apartment and I met him and his wife for, for dinner, I was completely calm. I, I, we, we even barely talked about what had happened, and we enjoyed the rest of the evening. We had a you know nice dinner and you know, good wine, and, and went out for a movie. So this is a small example, right. but it is something that really strikes me as you know a powerful example of what stoicism is about. I, I guarantee you, if this thing had happened you know two or three years ago, I would have reacted in a completely different way. You would have lost your mind. Yeah, I would have you know been upset for the entire evening and like, you know. And in your case, you learned something. You know, you're going to hold on to your wallet little tighter next time <laughs> yeah that's right well actually if you want to know the detail I, the, the details um i learned exactly what the technique is that they used because i i paid attention. that's the other thing by the way about stoicism that it says it tells you that uh, although regretting stuff that you cannot no longer change is useless because you know what's the point mm-hmm. right. you should still learn from your experiences yes, yes. 
So you should, you should meditate about what actually happened, think about, reflect about what actually happened and, and try to learn the thing. So what happened in this case, you know, I always uh, bring my wallet in the front pocket. Front pocket is actually difficult to get to. I mean, you, it's almost impossible, in fact, to yeah. get to it without you noticing. But this was a crowded subway. And when I got in, I noticed that there was this guy in front of me who uh, who basically pushed back against me, sort of almost... Uh, trying not to get me into the subway. And I thought it was weird because it was crowded, but there was definitely space for me to get in. So there wasn't, you know, I, I thought for a second, so why is this guy resisting my entry? And, and the reason for that was because he was distracting me and his, uh, you know, his confederate was getting the, the wallet yeah, uh, out of my left pocket. So I said, okay, well, next time that you feel that kind of pressure, disengage immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. that's the way you're gonna save your wallet next time. Because you you knew it subconsciously. You had a weird feeling. Why is this guy exactly. doing this? And then, but uh, but you didn't realize it because I never had that experience before. Well, yeah. now I have. So now I know. <laughs> yeah, there are no mistakes. You know, you just learn learning yeah. experiences. I feel like that yeah, learning that yeah. part of stoicism actually spoke to me. Well, made so much sense to me that I try to use it every day in work. So if someone, say my boss is having a bad day and he takes it out on me, I have to know that it's not, it's just, it's on, him. It's him. That's right. Right. Exactly. Him going oh yeah. One of, one of the major things that really helped me, uh, stoicism really helped me with was not to get upset when people insult right. you yes. or, or they, they yell at you or something like that. Right. Yep. Uh, it's not that. So, so some people take, take that as, um, an indication that stoicism is sort of a passive philosophy that it, you know, it counsels you not to do anything. No, that's not the issue. No. The issue is this, that you know, the best way, the best thing sometimes you can do is to disengage, to ignore the person and just say, look, this, this guy is crazy. He's, he's yelling at me for right. no particular reason. I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to get upset about, about exactly. this because what are you going to do? If you're going to yell back, that's going to simply escalate into a shouting match. And that's just, what he was looking for. Right. He's probably trying to look for exactly. an argument. And it's exactly. just going to be a waste of your energy on something negative. That Precisely. And also, stoicism actually teaches you a little bit of sense of humor. Um, so uh, I have a colleague of mine uh, who is also a practicing stoic, and he's an academic. He's a philosopher. Uh, his name is Bill Irvine. And uh, Bill one day uh, was in the in his, you know the department at a university, and um, one of his colleagues stopped him in in the hall and said, "Oh, Bill, I, I was just thinking of you because I, I was thinking of uh, citing some of your work in my next book." And you know, the, when a colleague tells you something like that, you know, you, you're gratified, uh, and you say, "Oh, that's good. That's the, you know, one of my colleagues actually thinking that my my work is is worth citing." But but the problem is, and in this case. Bill's colleague immediately added, yes, but I have first to decide whether your work is misguided or evil. <laughs> yeah. And Bill thought about it for a second. He remembered Epictetus, again, telling a similar story. Uh, and Bill's response was, well, the two are not mutually exclusive. If you knew my work very well, you would realize that it's both misguided and, and evil. evil. <laughs> right? So now that left the guy completely speechless. Yeah. <laughs> What, what, what are you going to do? Right? It's that kind of self-deprecating or you know, almost sarcastic humor that completely disarm you because, you know, how, how are you going to react to that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, so it, I, I find that those those little things actually make your life much better. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's something different from religion where there isn't really too much humor in much religion. There's just rules. No, that's right. Rules to follow. <laughs> and if you break the rules, something bad will happen to you. 
exactly. Yeah. So there's another part of stoicism. Um, like nowadays, when there's people are trying to motivate each other, they're trying to keep anything negative out of their head. But whenever I read stoicism, I know I read about the negative visual visualization. Right. So which means you would wait. Well, I forgot who wrote. I think it was Seneca or Marcus. But you wake up in the morning and you go through how your day can go what problems you could come across, and then that's going to prepare you better to handle that situation. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Marcus. Marcus actually says uh, very explicitly, you know, like get up in the morning and remind yourself lots of bad stuff is going to happen. Um, Yeah, so this this movement that we've seen of sort of positive, um, you know, be positive at all costs, there's actually pretty good empirical evidence at this point that not only it's not helpful, but it actually is is kind of dangerous um, because it... um, People that tend to be that try to be positive all the time, they tend to underestimate uh, problems, then and then they're crushed uh, because when when they actually experience a problem. So the Stoics were kind of the other way around. They basically tried to envision envision the worst possible case scenario uh, ahead of time, and then uh, and then they would tell them themselves first of all, well, even the worst possible scenario is not that bad, Mm -hmm. and second of all, most of the times the worst possible scenario doesn't actually happen. And so you feel much better, actually. You you know you kind of relieve. I mean, so um, go on, sorry. But there is another. So so one of my favorite examples is actually from Epictetus. At some point, he says, and I can relate to it uh, to, to that this particular advice that I'm about to tell you because it happens to me all the time. So Epictetus says, you know, uh, the other day I was I, I wanted to go to the to the baths to the thermal baths, right? Right. But you know that. Very likely, when you get to the baths, you want to have a good time. You want to, you know, relax and all that. But you know that very likely somebody's going to yell, somebody's going to splash you, you know, somebody's going to run into you and that sort of stuff. Well, so in order to deal with that, you have to remind yourself, first of all, that this can happen. So you need to be mentally prepared because when you're mentally prepared to stuff, then the impact of what happens is much less. Right. Because you can tell, oh, I expected that to happen. Yep. But the other thing is you have to have, he said, you always have to have two goals when you get out of the house. One is to do whatever it is that you want to do. In this case, go into the to the bath. Yep. Uh, the other one is to keep, uh, as you put it, harmony with the universe. Right. So you you want to be keeping your serenity, your tranquility. Now you may fail at the first one, meaning that you might not end up having a good time at the bath because somebody's splashing you or whatever. <laughs> but you can always keep succeed at the second one. You can always keep your 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 calm and your, yeah, your exactly. serenity uh, intact. Now, the reason this resonated with me is because you know I go to the movies a lot, and these days, almost invariably, some jerk in the middle of the movie pulls out a cell phone yep. because he absolutely freaking has to check his text <laughs> messages or you know whatever. And of course, that ruins the experience for a bunch of other people behind him, right? Now, it. I used to get really upset about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it will ruin my entire evening at the movies. Like, oh, come on! How can you possibly be such an idiot not to realize that that you know that what you're doing is disruptive and and Rude. inconsiderate of other people? You know, the movie theater is not your living room. It's 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 a it's a public space. Um, so it would it would really sort of ruin that when when the kind of thing will happen. It would ruin my 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 evening. Now, when these things happen, I very calmly, of course, the first thing I do is I talk to the guy and I say, "Look, I'm sorry, but it's it's kind of disruptive. Would you mind?" Yeah. And if he keeps doing it, I just ignore it at that point. I say, well, you know, I had two two objectives when I came out tonight. One was to have a good time in the movies. The other one was to keep harmony with the universe. Right. I'm now focusing on keeping harmony with the universe. <laughs> yeah. Didn't Marcus say something similar to that where 
you can try to control. You could try to change. Um, like for example, for you, it's you told the guy to put it away, but right. at, after that, you have no control left. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. That you know that uh, one of the common misconceptions about stoicism is that it's it's a passive philosophy. It's not passive. I mean, you try to change things. Exactly. Uh, but it, but sometimes you just don't succeed, and then at that point, what are you going to do? Uh, if you're just going to keep screaming and yelling, it, nothing is happening. Uh, you know, the, the, many of the Stoics that we know of were definitely people of, you know, men of action, mostly men. There were a few women, but m- men of action. So, you know, Marcus Aurelius was an emperor for crying out loud. Yes. He, he spent a lot of time, you know, fighting wars. Yep. Uh, Seneca was the, was the advisor to the, to the emperor Nero. Uh, he tried unsuccessfully, yep. as it turns out, to, to steer Nero in some reasonable direction. He was also a very wealthy man, so he had to manage a large estate and that sort of stuff. Epictetus was a very famous teacher. Uh, his teacher, Musonius Rufus, was also very famous and very successful. So these are all people who are clearly uh, into action. They, they clearly try to change the world for the better right. the way they saw it, right? Yes. But at the same time, they always remind themselves of, you know, the, the famous, one of the famous metaphors of, of um, Stoics is the, fem- is the, the metaphor of the archer. Uh, let's say that you, you, you are an archer, you're trying to hit a, a, a target, right? What is up to you is to prepare, to, to, uh, to uh, exercise a lot, to get the best bow you can, the best arrow you can, yep. to really focus up until the moment the arrow leaves your bow. And then after, up, after that, it's no longer up to you. I like that. Yeah, whether then. you hit, yeah, whether you hit the target or not, that's it outside of your control. Yeah. And you know, you if you do hit it, great. If you don't hit it, well, you did your best you could. So, what else do you want to do? That's true. Yeah, make an adjustment and try again. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. right. And exactly. to go back to negative visualization. Visualization. Wow, I can't say this word. <laughs> visualization. <laughs> yeah. But to go back to that, so like you were saying, every the whole new movement. Wait, think positive. Think positive. Never think negative. I feel like once something negative does happen, they get so crushed because they have yeah. no idea how to handle it. They never even thought of it happening. Yeah. And that's just right. the reality. Exactly. The reality and an extreme version, if you remember, an extreme version of the positive uh, thinking movement uh, was the, um, uh, the the Secret. Remember that, yep. that book yes. that came out you know, a few years yeah. ago? Bob Proctor. Well, the Secret is, is, is problematic because it basically ends up um, – Besides, setting aside the fact that it's based on pseudoscience, or as we yeah. call it in technical terms, it's based on bullshit. But um, <laughs> you know, the, so it's based on the idea that if you if you really want something, the universe somehow yeah. sort of will deliver it, right? Yep. Uh, not only obviously that is not true, but but more uh, it's more worrisome the fact that it sort of creates a situation where you're going to end up blaming the victim, right? Yes. Because let's say you get cancer. Uh, and then, and then people tell you, oh, you need to be positive about it. You need to want to, to, uh, uh, to live and you yeah. need to want to, to be cured and eventually you'll be cured. And then you don't. Yep. Then now you're not only you're in a shitty situation because you got cancer. Now you're in a more shitty situation because you blame yourself for not being positive enough. That's true. Yeah. Like, so, what the hell? <laughs> so you don't believe in the law of attraction. Right. No, I don't believe in a lot of attraction. I'll be be honest. I was into all of that before, but ever since I started reading about stoicism, it make that makes way more sense to me. Exactly. Well, welcome to the fold. (laughs) (laughs) I have to get into it more. I'm going to definitely read this book. So, do you suggest people read your book 
Like as a beginner, if someone doesn't know anything about yeah, stoicism. Brand new. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean that that is it's written for uh, beginners or or not too advanced practitioners. Yes, if you're an advanced practitioner of stoicism, then you, there are the books that I can recommend. But how to be a stoic is is definitely it's what the title says. It, right. it, it will walk you uh, uh, step by step into the basic theory of the philosophy and then the practice. And, you know, it ends with a number of ex practical exercises, as I mentioned. So, uh, yeah, if you don't know anything about it, or if you, if you know little about stoicism and you're curious and you, you want to figure out if that's the thing for you, um, then I think that's, uh, yeah. that, that's a pretty good way to go. I, I'm sure this is in the book, but so Stoics believe in meditation daily, daily meditation. Yeah, I mean, they didn't have uh, a necessarily a specific regime. I mean, who knows if if, if Marcus, for instance, uh, Marcus Aurelius was doing meditations, you know, or his diary daily or every other day or whatever he had at the time, right? But Seneca actually explicitly says to do it every day. At um, a certain amount of time yeah. or? No, he's not specific, but he, but he says uh, something like, you know, before going to bed, take a few minutes and, and, uh, and go over your day and ask yourself, these three fundamental questions. One, what did I do wrong? And he says, you know, acknowledge that and then and then forgive yourself. Right. Uh, two, what did I do right? And give yourself a pat in the back because it's a good thing. And then three, uh, what could I have done differently? All right. So what what is it that you learn from today's experiences that you, that it's going to actually be useful, you know, the next time around? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So Seneca is actually specific. He, he says that he should do it every day. Um, we don't know how often Marcus Aurelius would, would write in his in his, um, yeah. in his uh, diary, but probably pretty often. The meditation I'm kind of talking about is more of uh, breathing techniques and letting your thoughts just go and observing them more than thinking about it. You know what I mean? The yeah, that's that's more like a Zen Buddhist meditation, right? Yeah. So the Stoics don't do that sort of stuff. Uh, okay. They. Uh, First of all, let me back up for a second. So, Buddhism. Uh, I said earlier that there is a lot, a lot of similarities with Stoicism. There are also, of course, major, you know, some major differences. But Buddhism is really uh, a family at this point of philosophies and religions. Because so, one should you should really use the word Buddhisms plural, <laughs> because it has evolved into a different number of schools. Some of which are very far from Stoicism, and some of which are actually are very similar. But the kind of Zen meditation you're talking about, sort of emptying your mind or, or using a simple mantra to focus on your breathing and, or, or on, your, on a single uh, word, uh, that's not what the Stoics did. What the Stoics meant by meditation was actually uh, a type of mindfulness, of sort of analytic mindfulness, of pay attention, you know, go through uh, uh, what you've done actually today, you know, uh, uh, and then think about it carefully and, and write out what is it that you should do or, sh or you shouldn't do. Uh, or another thing is that what we're, we were talking about earlier, the, the negative visualization, uh, that one is supposed to be an actual visualization. You have to think about a situation that you're about to encounter or likely to encounter and work your way through. So it's a very um, uh, purposeful, very, very explicit kind of, of uh, mindfulness. So it's, it's different from Zen meditation. Yeah, very different. Uh, can you go into, I read this a while back, but Stoics used to go through voluntary discomfort? Like, yes, that's right. Uh, so again, Seneca is one of those, and also Marcus Aurelius. Um, 
So the idea there is to do a little bit of self-deprivation exercises once in a while, uh, nothing dramatic. So you want to maybe fast for a day or two. Uh, or sometimes you want to sleep in a, uh, instead of a comfortable bed, you, you sleep on a plank or, or, or a little mattress on the floor. Uh, or sometimes you want to go out in the, in the winter underdressed, you know, so that you can feel the cold, that sort of stuff. Um, why would they do that? Because, so this, this, there were a couple of reasons. One was to, uh, prepare themselves for the possibility that they might actually have to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. So life is, full of uh, changes and some of those changes are not positive. Right, yeah. So one of these days you might actually have to face a situation where you don't have enough to eat or you don't, you don't have enough to put on uh, in terms of clothes or something like that. So that's kind of a way to prepare yourself uh, both physically and mentally to endure uh, situations that are not comfortable. But the other reason uh, which is I find very useful is as a reminder of just how good your life actually is. So it's like uh, gratitude. Yes, it's an exercise in gratitude. It's a physical exercise in gratitude. Instead of just saying to yourself, oh, I'm grateful because of this or that or the other, uh, well, try to do without this or that or the other for a little bit, and then you'll really feel uh, grateful. So Seneca at some point says that, that uh, uh, he had some stale bread and water you know, for a day or two, and he said, you know, you wouldn't believe the next meal, how good it tasted. Yeah. <laughs> right, makes <laughs> because sense to me. By contrast, right? The, the, the core point of it is, from what I'm hearing, is just prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Maybe? Yeah, you prepare for the worst. You don't necessarily hope for the best, yeah. but you, you prepare for the worst and you appreciate right. the best. Yeah. You appreciate what you already have. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I feel like it's about every man is content with what he has. What He should be content with what he has. It could yes, that's right. So, so Stoics, for instance, are very bad for consumerism, for, for a consumer <laughs> uh, society. Uh, they, we, we tend, so one of the exercises that some of my fellow Stoics, you know, modern Stoics actually do is to go one entire week without buying anything uh, other than, you know, basic necessities yeah, like food. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's like it, a minimalist kind of view. Yeah, that's right. But it's a temporary minimalism. So, so again, there is nothing in Stoicism that says that you ought to live your entire life that way. Remember, Seneca was the second most powerful man in the in the empire, and, and Marcus Aurelius was the most powerful man in the empire. Mm-hmm. These were rich people. These were people that were wealthy and had a lot of power. So there's nothing about stoicism. Stoicism isn't about going through your entire life, uh, sort of in, in in minimalist in a minimalist way or in sort of a dire dire you know fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is about doing these exercises, reminding yourself that whatever it is that you have is uh, is temporary. It's uh, uh, the, the Stoics uh, thought that everything we have, both in terms of material stuff and actually even of friendships or relationships, it's all on loan from the universe. It's it's a loan that the universe gave you, and the universe can call it back at any time for any reason. Right. And you should therefore be mentally prepared that you know nothing is forever. Nothing lasts forever. Uh, you will lose eventually. At some point, you will lose your parents. Uh, if you're unlucky, you lose your partner or your or your your, your child. Uh, something that, that at the time uh, in the Roman Empire did happen very often. I mean, oh, Marcus Aurelius yeah. had thirteen or fourteen kids, uh, and only five survived to adulthood. Oh my! And, yeah. yeah. So and imagine that was the emperor, right? So the most powerful man in the, in the world with you know access to all sorts of resources, medical uh, care, and all that sort of stuff. And even so, you know, close to two thirds of his of his children died. 
Now, we don't live in that kind of society today, but things can happen. You know, accidents happen. You know, oh. you, you, all of a sudden you lose somebody that you didn't expect to lose. And the idea of the Stoics is that you should always remember that that's possible. That can happen any minute, which means that you need to really focus on appreciating what you have when you have it. Yeah. Exactly. And I had a, Gratitude. You know, if, yep. if you don't mind a sort of a personal anecdote, I had experienced, I've experienced this. The difference that stoicism can make uh, uh, when my parents died. So uh, my father died a number of years ago, way before I um, I was sort of got interested in stoicism. My mother, on the other hand, died more recently uh, after I started practicing. And my attitude in both cases, in, in the two cases, were very different. So when my father, even even though I knew they both died of cancer, but even if even even if I knew that my father was sick and you know it was. Uh, I knew exactly what he had, and I'm a biologist, so I, I understand what that means. And yet, I had this idea that, well, you know, but I, I, I'll, I'll see him again, and you know, I don't. Maybe I'm not gonna mm. uh, go this time to Rome because I'll see him some other time. He's gonna be there, and of course, one day he wasn't, yeah, and, and that came as a as a shock, right? I, I didn't have time to say goodbye. I didn't have, you know, I felt regret for a number of occasions that we could have been together and, and, and we weren't because I had other things to do and, and, and I got distracted by other stuff. When, my, when the same thing happened to my mother, uh, I was much more mindful in a stoic sense of what was happening and I acted in a completely different way. You know, I, I did not postpone going to see her. I did spend time to, with her. I did talk to her and you know, make sure that I was appreciating every moment that I, that I had left with her. So that is the kind of thing that stoicism can do for you. It can uh, renew this sense of urgency about life and the sense of appreciation that things are fleeting right. and they're going to be gone before you realize it, and then you're going to regret it. It's a way to cope. It's easy to cope with that. Yes, um, that's right. It is easier to cope when you know when my mother. Uh, finally went. I I was the most serene of my my siblings. You know, everybody else was, of course, understandably distraught and grieving. And you know, so, so was I in a, in a sense because that's a human thing to do. But I was also serene because I yes. knew that uh, there was something that I couldn't do anything about, but that I had done anything that I could have done in order to spend time with her and and you know and and have and interact with her while she was still alive. Yeah. So so I have a question then. If when someone dies and you Stoics believe they don't, there's no heaven or hell. So what happens to that energy if it can't be created or destroyed? Where does it go? It's recycled, right? It's recycled in the universe. Um, and so, um, as we as you were saying earlier, we're made of stardust, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, the the elements, the the molecules, the atoms of which we're made, gets recycled. And uh, in fact. <laughs> uh, at one point years ago, I was uh, told by a chemist this really interesting uh, sort of statistic. Uh, because every, every atom that we're made of uh, is in fact recycled, there is a good chance that right at this moment you're breathing at least one molecule that, was, uh, that also went through the, through the body of Julius Caesar. Wow. Which is a, yeah, which is a really weird thought, right? It's like, what? <laughs> That's um, mind-blowing. But yeah, if you... It turns out that's actually pretty large. <laughs> that is ridiculous. So there's a lot. There's a very, very large number of molecules, right? And, and yeah. So it's a, it's a huge number of molecules. Um, or the other way, to, another way to put it is this: if you were, uh, so I'm, I'm talking to you now, and I'm drinking a little bit of water in a, in a glass. So if you if you take a glass of water, 
and you you pour it in the ocean. You know, let's say you go to the Atlantic Ocean, and just put the water in, okay. and then you mix it somehow so that it's completely dispersed throughout all of the oceans of the Earth, mm-hmm. and then you pick a new class of water from the same ocean. At least one of the original molecules will be there. Wow! Oh, from one cup. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh! Really? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty it's a it's an interesting way to think about stuff. It kind of puts things in perspective. It makes you realize we're all one, really. We're all from exactly one. Ah, that's great oneness. I love that. All right, I so that was amazing. Yeah, that was a good talk. You have anything else to plug, or you want to tell the, the name of your book again? I botched it. Uh, sure, the, the book is uh, How to Be a Stoic: yeah. Using Ancient Philosophy to Live a Modern Life. is on pre-order on Amazon right now, and it comes out next week. And then, if people are interested in following up on that, they can go to my blog, which not not at all coincidentally, it's called How to Be a Stoic dot org. And what if they want to find you on social media? On social media, uh, uh, they can follow me on Twitter and at uh, M Pilucci, M P I G L I U C C I. So that's my first, my initial Massimo, and then the, the my last name. Or uh, they can look my look up my name on Facebook. There is an official sort of uh, philosophy page where I post lots of stuff every day. Okay. Yeah, we're definitely going to become. I'm definitely getting this book because I'm starting to get into it now. The more that I hang out with you. Yeah. <laughs> I love this philosophy. So, so May 9th, the book comes out. Yes. I'll definitely get it. And yeah. do you have a favorite quote you want to leave us with? Um, a quote? Yes. Uh, I, I'm not going to quote it verbatim, but, uh, but it's, uh, but it's one of my fine. favorite quotes from Epictetus. Uh, at some point, uh, one of his students basically tells, tells him, you know, it's, it's possible that, that uh, you have to die today, right? Because that was one of the things that Epictetus kept telling his own students every day. And right. so Epictetus' answer is, well, if I have to die now, uh, I don't have a choice, so I'm going to die now. But if it is not time to die, then I'm hungry, and we're going to go out for lunch. <laughs> I like it. That's, that's, yeah. part, that's the humor to it. That exactly. Talking. That's the humor, and that's the thing of you know putting things in perspective. I can't control when I'm going to die, but I can definitely control when I'm going to go to lunch. <laughs> yes, I love it. Oh. Thank you. Thank All you right, so Professor, much for coming thanks on. Thanks for coming on. Oh, that was a pleasure. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. Was it was really nice talking to you. Thank and you. you. Have a good night. Have a great night. Yeah, you yeah. too. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Wow. Wow. That was definitely the smartest guy I've ever spoken to. Dude, there was right at <laughs> the beginning, I was like, what is going on right now? Like... Uh yeah, like in the I I got warmed up. Yes, but one thousand. If I think if you listen to this from the beginning, yeah, and then come to us now, you're gonna be like two different people. <laughs> Yo, I cannot. that blew my mind. Yeah, like even the, the cup of water thing at the end. <laughs> oh man, that was so cool. I think the funniest. Like, it shows you like how he's what twenty five years older than us, like maybe Give or take, thirty yeah. years older. Oh yeah, thirty years older. So. Like, I am I gonna be that smart when I'm thirty? Like, I have no idea. When he started talking like this, is gonna be interesting. Thirty years old. Like, older? am I gonna be able to keep up with this guy and what he's saying? Yeah, it was a little intimidating at first. Yeah, but very intimidating. That was our first like real like. That was like he was on Rogan. Yeah, 
The second <laughs> he said that, it made me nervous again for like a second. Like, oh shit, I'm and Rogan. It, yo, and then even, uh, and then he also drops. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on my <laughs> podcast, on his own podcast. Like, wow. And he's just like doing stuff all day. Oh man, I wish I was able to get a little more comfortable than I was, but that was still good. I mean, I think we did really well for our first real famous yes. dude. We only had one real minute of silence just because I was like, what did he just yeah. say? <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to take a second and process what he's saying. Uh, imagine he did come here. Remember he was going to come here? <laughs> he would have just stared at us. <laughs> like, he would be talking. I would just be like, what? I, I think if he was here, it would have been easier for me. Because, like, when you're talking yeah, to someone in It would have also been easy because we would have sat. We would have talked before we went live. Would have give us like a minute to yeah. get to know his personality. Gave and stuff. him a coffee. For this, he was like, "Boom, was, let's go." Yeah, like we need. Good thing we prepped because we would have just been. Oh, if we didn't have at least a little notes, we would have been lost. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I wanted to say his quote. I guess I could still say it's the same yeah, podcast. Go for it. His so uh, just him a quote talking about how you have some answers in life are only going to come from philosophers. Like you can't. So his the quote is if you want answers to moral questions that you don't ask Oh shit, I screwed up. <laughs> it's all right, I screwed up his book literally talking to him. Yeah, you're like <laughs> you wanna read Stoicness. How to be a Stoic using a uh, modern day ancient <laughs> Yeah. No, here's the quote. If you want answers to moral questions, then you don't ask the neurobiologist, you don't ask the evolutionary biologist, you ask the philosopher. Boom. That's where you get your answers. I hope we could get this guy back on. I hope he's not like... No, he talked to us for an hour and 30 minutes. He can talk. He definitely didn't like not like us. Yeah, that's true. He was was hanging out. He was laughing. He is a stoic, so... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like that. That's why he answered so quick, because he is a stoic, and he's like, well, I'm going to just help them, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) But listening to him describe it, really, I feel like it affirm me wanting to keep doing this like i'm 100 percent gonna keep going with this oh yeah and i'm getting that book for sure there's no way i turn my back on like this is one thing in a long time i actually really like a philosophy that i'm really getting behind like i said like i was into law attraction you're losing your mic am i it's falling oh hold on like i was into law of attraction and i was into all of that and just reading stoicism and reading how you have to visualize something like you can't just go on positive, 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 positive. Nothing negative can happen. Yeah, that's just unrealistic. It's just accepting. It's just when negative be things prepared happen. For it. Yeah, and if it's not in your control, don't waste too much time on it. Yeah, like, like that's makes so much sense. No one benefits. Yeah, regret doesn't exist. Yeah, in stoicism, it's just that's what happened. It's out of your control. Deal you with it. Control what you can control. Everything else, let it go. Yeah, and it's and like he said, like it sounds so simple, but yeah. that's only ten percent. Like ninety percent is well, doing it. that. Someone gets in your face today, angry, pissed off. Like you are not prepared to like be like, okay, so stoicism told me. To <laughs> <do that." laughs> like you're just gonna be because inst- you're not used to it. You're gonna be instantly. Yeah. What the fuck, dude? Get out of my face! Blah blah blah. It's conditioning. You condition yes. yourself to this is an everyday thing. Do these habits? Every I feel like day. I'm trying. I haven't got to the meditating part really, but I feel like, I mean, at night before I go to bed, I lay in my bed and there's so many thoughts going through my head, and I try to just simplify it well, and think did, about what I'm thinking about. 
Well, if you're going to do the stoic meditation, you you ask it's, yourself I have those, to go through my day. Those yeah. three questions. Yes. But I practice the other meditation. I need to start. I'll do both because I really like breathing yeah, meditation. Yeah, of course. You know, and I'm sure he doesn't have anything against it. No. It he he like described that. me because I started to get into Buddhism. And he's like, a lot of Stoics are Buddhists. Right. And then they're like, all right, this is kind of more my pace. Yeah. I think that's probably where I'm leading towards because I like how he said his book breaks it down. Like for every situation to the modern right. day. So I have another book that, that I haven't book. read yet that sounds very similar. Yeah. Just as like a, it's called A Guide to a Good Life. Okay. And it's um, uh, it's also about living a modern life using stoicism but i might have to pick this book up instead and just read this first yeah i'm a beginner so i'm definitely going to start with that one and plus i want to help this like, yes exactly this Massimo. guy he like that guy is, came and hung out with us basically he came in just like <laughs> feeling so friendly and exactly that's what blew my mind like he had no problem doing his podcast yeah i gave him three opportunities back in <laughs> <out of> this <laughs> i gave him three are you sure you want to come on this show yesterday i was like okay so i'm just to confirm you're still coming on and we're still good to go yeah not even like he didn't even have his response was tolga apostrophe confirmed like that's it that was it (laughs) exclamation point there was just (laughs) no he had no worries and you hear he's been on rogan this guy's had neil degrasse tyson on like yeah i like it it's just everything he said made sense I yeah. forgot all about his views on Suedo science, though. I did read about that. Yeah, I didn't get it. I didn't ask him. Yeah. But. Wow, thank you, Massimo. Seriously. It's awesome name, too. I didn't even compliment him on I know. Name. It just started way too. Just It was the beginning was too much, and we never got into a lot. We answered, and he's and he's like, hey, guys, what's going on? <laughs> and, then, and, like, it just started, and I don't know. It was crazy. It was just really quick. Yeah. But, well, I guess we're going to be doing more interviews like we're gonna have to be we're gonna get better at we're gonna i don't know how the quality is for this guys yeah this right is now skype i'm no, not but gonna i'm not gonna know until we stop and we edit this but we got new equipment coming in tomorrow guaranteed this is not gonna it's gonna be better quality no matter what also we are gonna make sure we never screw up again the way we have twice now yeah but we're good now now we actually do a legit sound check which we probably should have been doing the whole time but well you learn. You, live. you do learn. Well, let's add Stoic philosophy to this. It doesn't matter at this doesn't point. Matter. It's in the, that's another thing about Stoics. Ah, I completely forgot to bring it up, but they don't live in the past. No. So whatever the, happened in the past and whatever you think is going to happen in the future is none of your concern. It's all really similar to Alan Watts. Like He thinks the same stuff. Right. So it's I got to just get into it more. Wow, that guy was so smart. Oh, he is insanely smart. He okay. had an opinion about anything we threw at him. A PhD in philosophy <laughs> of science, a PhD in biology, a doctorate in genetics, a master's in biological sciences. And <laughs> I, I and don't he came even... on and he spoke to us. <laughs> and you I don't graduate... even have an associate's degree. <laughs> like I have four credits away from an associate's degree and I'm 29. <laughs> yeah, and I got a bachelor's in five years from <laughs> communications. Oh, you don't is... respect respect oh yeah i mean i would go on anyone's show too if i'm 100 percent. like if someone if this asks guy me, comes on our show with no problems we can go on we have no excuse we not will never say no show. to anyone never Mm-mm. 
I actually want to go listen to his Rogan episode. Me too. That's really interesting. It's like, yes. It, we're like, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of Joe Rogan. It's like, yes, I was on his <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, I was actually on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, oh, yeah. I don't know if you heard of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, yes. Neil deGrasse Tyson was on my show. <laughs> and then he's, he just had an answer to everything. I didn't ask him about Jason Silva, but he probably doesn't know. You know him. what? He's new. I want to get him on again. And I think next time will be 20 times better because we'll be comfortable. Yeah. That was a good one, Joe. No, yeah, I'm. My heart's still beating pretty. Yeah, quick. dude. Yeah, for, no. In the beginning, you have no idea. Yeah, I got you were so overloaded. I was overloaded because this is exactly what I want to talk about, and I was so <laughs> excited for like the entire time since we booked them. I was like, yes, yeah. yes, this is what I want to talk about, and he comes on, and like everything left my mind <laughs> for a solid twenty minutes. <laughs> I had no thoughts, dude. I was like, fucking thank Toka. <laughs> Like everything left me, but you saw slowly. I was like starting yeah. to fucking throw. No, yeah, I, I, I would look at you it. and you'd have just like a blank look. So I'd be like, all right, I'm going back to my yeah. notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna follow these until he comes back. Yeah, but when I came back, I slowly started remembering everything I want to talk about. I started jotting it down because he talk he talks, and I enjoyed it. But he like, re- whoa, no, he, he really talks, and I would have to jot down what I wanted to say just so I don't forget. But. 100% going to try to get him back on. I really hope that audio came out good. I'm praying. Because that was an awesome interview. I am praying. All right. So next up for us is your psychotherapist. Person. Is that? Oh, yeah. May. That's next. May 9th. Oh, the, wow. On the day of the release of How to Be a Stoic. We got a psych. We're recording this podcast. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. She's coming in. She's a... What's her name? Psychotherapist. Her name. This is cool. Her name's Jennifer Lopez. Is it really? Yeah. Well, <laughs> how awesome <laughs> is that? Is it Doctor Jennifer Lopez? No, is that a thing? she's not. I don't think she's a doctor. She's not a doctor. Do they have like a? Maybe you know what? No, she's not a doctor. We'll we'll do our research. <laughs> no, she's she's my friend's mom. Oh, okay. But I'm pretty sure she's not she's a doctor. She's coming in. Yeah, she's coming in. She's going to talk to us about analyzing people and their feelings. And she's just a real character, too. Right. Aside from what we'll learn from her, but she's also a little crazy and it'll be good. Makes sense to me. All right. Looking forward to that one. All right. And all right. So that's it for this episode, I guess. I'm still trying to like. I know. I'm process still, everything that just happened. I'm trying to like re- <laughs> recall the whole conversation. All right, that guy is smart. All right, so mm-hmm. everyone, once again, subscribe to us, iTunes, weekly sit down, spread the word. We still have time to. I think when this comes out, we still have time to get on new. I hope he worthy. tweets us. We I'm gonna. To I'm gonna email him. him. I'm gonna email him. Hopefully, he'll promote us at least at one tweet. Give us something. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to email him. I'll tweet at him. When we finish this, we'll tweet at him. And but like I said, everyone who's listening to this who may have heard of us through Professor Massimo Pigliucci. You got it. Pigliucci. <laughs> Whoever heard from us through there, if you enjoyed this episode, check out the rest of them. And if yeah. you enjoy the rest of them, subscribe to us and just give us a chance because we're going to try to get more guests like this and we're going to try to have more conversations like this is exactly all our conversations are like this just this one was a smart one yes where he knew the answers to everything yes this is exactly what we are though 
Yeah. But this was just someone who knew well, everything. Guy, yeah, he has 40 years of experience yeah. on us. We're, we're, we're going to try to keep getting guests like this, basically. Yeah. And it's only moving up from here. So, Weekly Sit Down on iTunes. If you still use SoundCloud, it's still Weekly Sit Downs. Uh, rate us, too. Drop us a review. That would be awesome. If you have any suggestions or any guests you want to hear or do you want to be on with us, email us at weeklysitdown at gmail.com. And, you know, give us a little idea of who you are, what you want to talk, talk about. We're like Massimo Pigliucci. We'll listen to anyone. Exactly. I mean, if this guy <laughs> came on our podcast, we'll have most people on our yeah. podcast. <laughs> Got it. Uh, what's it? Pay it forward. Exactly. All right, guys. Weekly sit down. I will talk to you beautiful, beautiful people on the next episode. Goodbye. Bye.